This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 109. And the quote of the day is from George Neller, who said, Creativity, as has been said, consists largely of rearranging what we know in order to find out what we do not know. Hence, to think creatively, we must be able to take look afresh at what we normally take for granted. Listening to the Drummers Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and I'm coming at you on my new microphone. I just got a, a Blue Yeti Pro, so I just upgraded my whole my whole recording system, and so let me know how you like the sound. Let me know if it sounds good or not, and speaking of the microphone, what I do behind the mic, this podcast has been nominated for a Drummy Award, and I would love it if you could take 30 seconds to head over to drummagazine.com forward slash drummies. And vote for Drummer's Resource for the best general interest drumming website. I would really, really appreciate it. I would love to win a 2015 Drummy. If you could help me along with that, I would appreciate it. Drummagazine.com forward slash drummies. This session is brought to you by DW Drums. And as you know, I've been playing DW Drums for a very long time. And I love the drums. I love the craftsmanship, excuse me. But I also love the fact that they support podcasts and drumming initiatives all over the world. And I'm very grateful that they are uh, helping me keep the lights on here. So check them out at dwdrums.com. And we're also sponsored by, as far as I'm concerned, the best drum magazine in the world, coincidentally called Drum Magazine. And they have all kinds of stuff like practice routines. They have gear reviews. They have in-depth Q&As, all kinds of great stuff. And they help you learn better fast. So if you're interested, head over to Drum Magazine. You can subscribe and you can learn more about that great magazine. The interview that I have today, this took me a long time to line up. Um, This is the one and only Gerald Hayward, and a lot of people have asked to get him on the show, and trust me, folks, I've been working at it for a very long time. It took us about a year and a half to get this whole thing lined up. As you'll hear, uh, where I met him, and and I played a little... uh, pop did a little pop quiz on him to see if he remembered where we met so i'm gonna quit yapping we're gonna get into this great interview as he talks about how he really innovated the drumming game coming from r&b getting into or i'm sorry coming from gospel and getting into r&b and into pop and all that stuff so without further ado let's get into it with the one and only gerald hayward gerald what's happening man thank you so much for doing this hey man glad to be here I was I was just thinking how long it took us to line this interview up, and I'm gonna play a little. I'm gonna we're gonna play a little game of quiz. I don't know if you remember where we met and how long ago it was. Um, I do remember where we met, but I don't remember how long ago it was. Okay, so we met at Nam. Yep, we met at Nam. But that was la- not last Nam, the Nam before. Nam before that, and I remember it wasn't even like near the drum section or nothing. I was looking at a table that they made. It was a big giant tape. They're awesome. I found them. Yeah. <laughs> they, like I found them online uh, okay. where you can buy them. Those things, they're like $800. Oh, wow. Wow. I wanted, I was like, man, this thing is awesome. So I looked it up and uh, yeah, I was like, I don't know if I can talk my, 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 my new wife uh, into an $800 coffee table. Right, right. It looks like a tape deck. Right, right, right. But um, <laughs> I remember meeting over there. We was in that area and 
it was kind of crazy. I was like trying to get away from all the drumming that was going on. It might have been like either upstairs or downstairs, uh, I want to say. And I was just like looking for a quiet place. Mm-hmm. And then I come and bother you. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool. I was like, he looks like he's meditating, but I'm going to go talk to him. Nah, I was just trying to get a different scenery. My ears was bleeding. Oh, I know. Mine too. Mine yeah. too. <laughs> so, but that being said, thank you. Uh, I, it, it took us a little while to make this happen, but I really do appreciate it. I know the listeners appreciate it, and a lot of people have been asking me to get you on the show. So cool. I'm thankful and honored to have you here, man. I appreciate it. Cool, man. Thanks. So I always like to get a little bit of, of backstory uh, about about my guests. So tell the listeners, you know, who you are, what you do, and uh, and how you really got into drumming. Okay. Well, my name is Gerald Haywood. I'm a professional drummer. Um, I actually started playing drums as, well, they would call me a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I started at the age of 10. Okay. Which, which you hear most drummers say they start at the age of two and three right. they bang the pots and the whole deal um i started playing the kungas first at my church mm-hmm. and um the drummer stopped coming to church so one day i just got on the drums and they was like man you sound good man you should play the drums <laughs> and you know i started playing the drums nice. I, I literally started playing the drums and it's kind of weird because the transition from going to a kunga player uh, percussionist to being a drummer is a very non-easy transition because mm-hmm. you go from just using your hands to literally using your hands and your feet. The coordination right. between your hands and your feet got to be right, uh, got to be in sync. Mm-hmm. So nobody really expected the transition to be what it was. So I think that's why I kind of got all the you know, like, yo, man, you sound great. Like, you know, because everybody's like, you know, kunga players don't transition to drums very well. Huh. You know That's what I mean? interesting. It's, it's a handful of them that huh. do. And I think, like, Alex Acuna is probably, you know, the most notable one. Sure, sure. That can transition from, from both. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, at that time, it's weird because I used to watch, like, I remember the Zildjian Day tape coming out a lot of years ago with Alex Acuna playing the drums and the kungas at the same time. Yikes. And I think that that is what, you know, propelled me to just getting on the drums and naturally knowing what to do with the pedals. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just a cool transition. And unexpectedly, you know, it's a gift from God. So it's like, you know, hey, man, you know, no schooling, no rudiments, none of that stuff. It was just sat down and start playing. Now, when you were playing kungas, were you thinking like, hey, man, uh, I'd like to play the drums, or was that never even a thought? Nah, it wasn't. Really? It was all about the kungas, bro. <laughs> do you so, still play kungas a lot? Yes, I do. Yeah? Actually, yeah, I have an endorsement with LP. I just ordered me a set of kungas and some timbales and stuff because what I've been doing in my house recently is doing a lot of drum loops and stuff for different producers. Mm-hmm. So... I'm intertwining all of that knowledge that I know about the kungas, the bongos, and all the percussion stuff into my loops now. Nice. So, so instead of, you know, they calling me and saying, oh, yeah, I need some drum loops. I get a whole bunch of drum loops. And then I'm like, yo, I'm going to send you some kunga loops and some bongo loops and some shakers and stuff like that. So, you know, it gives me kind of a little bit broader range. Sure, 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 sure. I can do. So it's cool. 
So you started playing, you switched from congas, you, get, you moved to the drum set. So walk us down that road a little bit. So what was, <laughs> what was like the stuff that you were, were you playing? Were you playing all, were you playing all, uh, all gospel or were you playing like some yeah. non-secular stuff or? Uh, it was all church. This, this all happened in church. So it went from, you know, like just, you know, I always listened to non-church music as my music source. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I would listen to Steve Gadd, Dave Weckl, Vinny, you know, Buddy Rich, uh, you know, uh, Billy Cobham. Like, I would listen to those dudes, but play only gospel music. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, most of the people I um, basically mention are jazz or fusion players. Sure. So I uh, started getting the drum knowledge from that side and just playing drums in church. But it was all just gospel music mm-hmm. it wasn't no r&b music it wasn't no hip-hop it was just gospel right you know um i don't know if you know him but he's a very famous jazz drummer his name is greg hutchison yeah i interviewed greg well greg hutchison me and him went to high school together oh did you yeah me him and nat townsley jr hmm. so i had i had uh i had nat on here too yeah so so you know me and nat grew up in a church i met greg at high school and um, it's weird because Greg used to say to me every day, yo, man, teach me how to play some gospel stuff, some funk, and I'm going to teach you how to play swing. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, man, we don't swing in church, so I don't <laughs> definitely need to know how to do that. I don't want to know how to do that. I'm not impressed with that. Or, you know, it wasn't a big thing in my life. It was like, yeah, I'm good on that. Right. But, you know, he would steadily try to learn how to play funk. And, you know, make a long story short, he never learned how to play funk. I never learned how to play swing. But, <laughs> you know, we both carved our niche in what we do. You know? I, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's a cool, it's a cool thing because, um, you know, just having those guys around, you know, I did hear a lot of jazz. And it's funny because I really didn't get into swing until I met my friend Chris Dave. You mm-hmm. know Chris Dave. yeah, yeah. So Chris, he just put a different type of aura on swing that made me interested in it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He kind of had like a hip-hop edge to swing, but he was also, you know, Tony Williams. Right. And he was also, you know, I'm from church. Mm-hmm. So he had all of these elements that made me interested in swing. Now, my concept of what I think about certain genres of drummers and music like, you know, jazz, swing, you have to eat that. You yep. have to know songs. You have to, it's a constant, edible uh, task that you have to do. Right. That's what I think. Right. Uh, no, I, and I agree with that. It's like you got to learn, like, the standards, you know? Exactly. So you got to learn 100, 200 songs, and yeah. Exactly. So I always felt like I was way past the age of learning that. I was like, man. I'm too old to get that. That's going to take forever for me to figure that out. Right. So I gave up on that. <laughs> but, but I like to see, you know, people like Greg Hutchison, people like, you know, Chris Dave. I like to see their approach to that music. Mm-hmm. And their approach to that music keeps me interested. Right. You know what I mean, and then, you know, I got, you know, I got like, you know, uh, Thomas Pridgen and, you know, Ronald Bruner and Jamar Moore and, you know, all of these guys that are into, like, fusion and jazz and hip-hop and gospel, you know, they're all mm-hmm. well-rounded and versed in all of these things. 
And, um, you know, I'm trying to catch up to that. I'm trying to, to be that, to try to sound authentic like if I had to play that. Right. You know what I mean? A way to be authentic, a, a way to know how to approach the music where, you know, I sound like I know what I'm doing and it feels like I know what I'm doing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, it's a process. It's a process. It's like being a basketball player and, you know, being a jump shooter or being a dude that'll back you down. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, somebody pass in rotation, all one motion, I'm going to shoot the jumper. I'm a jump shooter. Right. You know, somebody give me the ball. This takes a few minutes. Let me back this guy down, get close to the basket. I'm definitely going to score. Mm-hmm. So it's two types of basketball players you can be. Or you could be the all-around one, like Michael Jordan, or right. like LeBron James, or like, you know, Kobe Bryant. You can have all those aspects. Mm-hmm. So with drumming, it's the same thing. You got to knock down each aspect to get the whole package. Right. You right. know what I mean? So it's, you know, it's a lot of different, different ways that I look at stuff and... You know, my thing has not ever been a schooled, uh, how can I put it, a school gift. Right. Like, it's just been, I sat down, I played it, and it was good. Right. You right. see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But it's never been, oh, yo, I worked on my paradiddles this week, so when I go to church, I'm going to play the hell out some paradiddles. Right. <laughs> no. Right. It's never been that. It's always been... Oh, I learned a couple of licks this week. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to see where they fit. Right. That's right. what's been. But it's never been, you know, chop. It's never been left, right, right, left, right, left. It's never been that. Right. It's just I sat down and whatever I heard, I played it. So what was, or what is, I should say, uh, like a typical practice routine for you? Because a lot of people ask about practice routines. And I love to hear everybody's different because everybody practices differently. Okay. So I'm going to show you. I'm I in like my this. house right now, right? I like this. I'm in my house right now, and this is what I do. I have at least four or five of my nephews come to my house. Okay. You know, at least maybe uh, twice a week sometime, you know. And this is what we do. See this room right here? Mm-hmm. Just to fill you guys in on what Gerald's showing me right now, he has this huge room i I know that i'm overdubbing this because you guys can't see it in the podcast obviously but he's showing me this huge room that he has with like four or five or six drum sets set up and that's what he uses as his practice room so i wanted to give you guys a little bit of a visualization to what he's showing me he's just sort of taking his computer and like showing me around the room and everything but i didn't want you to miss out on what i was looking at so that's what he's talking about about this room so we're gonna get right back into it here we get in here and we play drums for at least three hours. Nice. And that's what I do. That's my practice routine. That's me sitting there with these guys and we're going back and forth. We're right. shedding. We are practicing and trying stuff. We're playing with, you know. So as you can see over here with this kit, we have the, uh, you know, it's a mixer plugged up. So mm-hmm. every, everybody has headphones and we're playing to a track. Okay, okay. And we play the different stuff. We got track in seven. We got track in regular two, four, four, four. We got tracks that, uh, you know, just songs, stuff that I'm playing um, to. And I let them play. And we, and we just play drums, man. We, we get in that room. We get in this room. And we play drums. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. And um, 
that's basically my practice routine. It's not nothing out of the ordinary, you know. Sometimes I sit with a practice pad and I may, you know, just play some singles or something like that. I, I was doing this thing that um, when I met Billy Cobham, he told me, he, uh, he would take a quarter and put it on a pillow. Mm-hmm. And you would practice your singles. If that quarter flips up, that means your singles are not even. So the really? object. Yeah, the object is is to keep the quarter down on the pillow <laughs> and stop it from flipping. And that's how you work on your singles. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, he, it was a great thing. It was like it was weird, but it was cool. How hard, hard is that to do? Very hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm doing that when we get off the phone. So. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll be mad because I won't be able to do it. <laughs> no, but, but the thing is, you know, it's just like anything else, man, like I said. You know, Michael Jordan went to the gym every day. Mm-hmm. You know, at, in some form, he played basketball every day. Yep, yep. To the point where, you know, it's like getting up in the morning for a guy, you got to use the bathroom. Right, like, right. you know, yo, when I get up in the morning, I got to go straight to the bathroom. Right. <laughs> so he played basketball. Having a jump shot, it's all technique. It's all mm-hmm. like, yo, I got to figure out, you know, I'll know if it's good. By the way my release is. Right, right. I know it's as good if I'm holding the ball right here. If I can just see the basket over the ball, you know, and but you gotta practice that right, every right. day to get to that point where it's like, oh yeah, I got this. This is this is how it is, and I know it's going in. So it, it's it's a lot of different techniques. Everybody got a lot of different ways that they approach drumming. Mm-hmm. And mine was just a raw way. It was no, every time I tried to get a teacher, it didn't work out for me. No, no. So it was just like, yo, man, I play drums, and mm-hmm. I will figure it out. Right, right. <laughs> Speaking as, as a side note, you would uh, you mentioned we were talking about a lot about basketball. There's a documentary called Kirby Kirk, Bri- or Kobe, Kobe Bryant's Bryant. Muse. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Yes, I have. Such a good. I, I thought that. Yeah. I I watched that. So the people out there that are listening, uh, it's a. I mentioned this before, but it's a documentary. They just follow Kobe Bryant around. Um, right. You know, and they go through. He gets hurt and he has surgery and all this stuff. But to watch that. It, it the to me the documentary was more. It wasn't just about Kobe Bryant and basketball. Like you could take that, you could watch that documentary and apply it to your life. Right, right, right. Totally. Right. And I was like, man, I want all the listeners out there to check it out because you the the his work ethic and the way that he practices and you know just his approach to everything. If you took that and put it towards the drums, I mean, sky's the limit, man. You know. Right. Well, I'm gonna tell you. Um, I watched that documentary twice. Okay. Right? Now, the first time, I didn't catch it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I actually think this was two different documentaries. I watched the one you're talking about. But then there was another one where he didn't mention Michael Jordan. Hmm. And I was upset at Kobe because I'm a Kobe fan. Right. I was upset because I thought he didn't mention Michael Jordan. Now, you know, I can't sit here and have an interview with you. And, you know, God has blessed me to be iconic. He's blessed mm-hmm. me to be, like, one of the guys that kind of started a lot of the things that everybody's doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But in doing that, I had a process. And my process was, like I told you, I listened to Steve Gadd. I listened to Dave Weckl. You know, the handful of gospel drummers that I listened to was, like, you know, Jeff Davis, Joel Smith, and, you know, like, those people... Dana Davis, like those people 
was all a part of my journey before I became a professional drummer. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, you know, with Kobe Bryant, I felt like he didn't mention Michael Jordan enough. I felt like this one interview that I seen, and it's the, I seen the same one you seen, but I thought it was the same documentary, but it was two different Oh, uh, it was two different ones. I got you. So when he, t- he talked about some dude that was on the Hawks, I forgot the guy's name, and I was like, man, I never even heard of that dude. But I was <laughs> mad at Kobe because he didn't give respect to the guy that he patterned himself after. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yo, man, you know that Michael Jordan was your go-to dude. You know what I mean? You came into your own, but you still use Michael Jordan's blueprint to be who you are. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Steve Gadd is basically my blueprint. Mm -hmm. All them guys I mentioned was basically my blueprint. Mm -hmm. And then I became Gerald Hayward on top of that blueprint. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I had got upset because I thought Kobe didn't mention Michael Jordan. And he did. He talked about him. And the, f- the craziest thing was he talked about the question that he asked him when they was on the court when he played against them. And he said, what do you do when – how do you find out where the defense is when you go to, you, to do the turnaround fadeaway jumper? Mm-hmm. And Michael, J- Michael Jordan said, you use your, your leg – to figure out where the defense is. If you put your leg in a certain position, you'll find out where the deep, where the defender is, stand, how he's standing without right. looking at him, which was cool. Right. You know what I mean? Like Kobe, made, Kobe said that all his interaction with Jordan was asking questions on how to get better or how to get to where he was. Right, right. Which is cool, and it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of things that I answer, a lot of questions I answer now that same, in that same realm. Mm-hmm. You, know? Mm-hmm. you know, when me and Aaron met, you know, it was a conversation of, like, man, so how do I do this? Right. I mean, um, how do I get into where you're at? And, you know, what does it take? And, you know, I tried it this way and it didn't work and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I was grateful to give that information. I was grateful to be the dude that that was able to give out that information because you got to remember me being the first of my kind coming from gospel music into r&b you know if there was a brick wall around the corner i basically ran into it because there was nobody to tell me that there was a brick wall there right so i ran into that wall i came back and said all right aaron you next up listen there's a brick wall around there go slow right be careful right and he's like cool He's like, yo, man, I seen that brick wall. I didn't hit it, though. Thanks. Right. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. He's able to tell, you know, Jamal, who is his brother, Jamal Moore, it's like, yo, man, it's a brick wall around there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Uncle G mentioned that. Okay. Right, right. So I'm telling you, that is there. <laughs> you know, so all of these, all of these, all, everything that I do now is for my next generation. Right, right. Their next generation. I feel I like as drummers, we have a responsibility to pass that on that knowledge on but some people are some people are stingy with it and some people don't want to give you the information and don't want to see you succeed and they're stupid and selfish and they're not going to succeed exactly because you know brian moore you mentioned brian moore Mm -hmm. i was on his first tour or he was i was on his first tour right and it's funny because the group he was playing for they didn't order him a drum set Hmm. so i was with the headlining act 
So I knew Brian. I said, yo, man. I Who got, were you guys out with? I was out with Blackstreet, and he was with a group called, uh, oh, man, what was the Whitehead Brothers or something like that. Uh, they're actually, uh, uh, their fathers wrote a lot of hit songs, like Ain't No Stopping Us Now, all that. Uh, like, okay. Fat okay. and Whitehead. Like, the, right. they're their sons, and mm. they had a group, like, in the 90s, 80s, or something like that. And um, Brian, you know, I said, Brian, don't worry about it. You can use my drums. Mm-hmm. People don't do that. Right. People right, right. don't do that. You know what I mean? And Brian killed it. He was dope that night. It was cool. And me and Brian has been friends all along. Yeah, me. Brian's a good buddy of mine, too. Yeah. yeah you know, little he's, he's a good dude. And he's the same way. He's like, hey, I'll tell you everything I know, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because you see, the thing is, it's like if it wasn't given to him right, he wouldn't know how to give it out right. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't, if I wasn't the dude to say, "Yo, man, I got you. This is how it works," he wouldn't do that for the next generation. Right. He wouldn't give you that opportunity. He'd be like, "Man, nah, man. This is what it is. This is all I'm giving you, and it's over." Right. You know what I mean? And I think that that's whack because what you got to remember is all the younger guys that's coming up, like you know, Shawan and Sharik and. Devin and all of these guys that are my nephews and Jamal and all these guys that you're seeing on the internet and playing crazy and all of this stuff, they gotta have the the tools to be to move on in the game. Right. You know what I mean? They gotta know like if 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 there's a door open for me, I gotta I know to leave that door open, mm-hmm. but I have to prepare the next person that's gonna walk through to leave the door open. Right. See what I'm saying? I so totally get it. So yep. it, it takes it takes a person, and I'm not bragging about myself. And, and no, no, I don't. I don't. It, I, it's not coming across like that. So. Yeah, all of those young guys are in charge of my iconicness. Right. They yeah. are going to be the ones to tell the generation that I'm going to miss about me. Right. And if I don't make it a good experience for them, it's going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. It's not going to, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, don't worry about him. He just, yeah, you don't need to You know what I mean? Right, right. And, and, you know, people need to know what contribution I gave to the drum community or what was my, you know, what was my footprint. Right. So, so what was my blueprint? So mm-hmm. I'm happy to share the information. I like when they come over because we play drums, we go eat, we talk. We talk about the business. We talk right. about how most people get fired on their day off. Mm-hmm. It's not about the drums. It's about something you did outside the drums. Right. That just reminded me of Friday. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, these things have to be said, and they have to be taught. You mm-hmm. have to be taught these things. You know, this is not something that because you're going to – we got to say, you know, don't get caught up in the hype. Right. The hype could tear you up so fast, man, you don't realize it's tearing you up. Yep. You know, because it's like, oh, man, I'm here. I made it. I'm here. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this. You need to give me this. You need to give me that. You need to do this for me. Then the attitude comes out and all that. Yeah. And, yep, yep. But that's what you try to prevent, you know. You got to stay humble, man. I played for Michael Jackson. I've been humble. And I, I've, I've talked about it now in later years after Michael Jackson has kind of passed away. But that was a big deal for me. And I never realized it until it was over. Right. Because while it was happening, I was just living in the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I got to play drums. I got to play drums well. I got to do well. Right. You know what I mean? And um, that's all I was thinking about. And then once it was over, it's like you're sitting home like, oh, snap. 
yo, I work with Michael Jackson. Right. You know what I mean? Like reality sets in. Yeah. That's that's another another example of not not letting the hype tear you up. Because it could have went in my head that, oh, man, I'm here with Michael Jackson. I'm right. the man. I'm this, I'm that. But it just went in and went out at the time. Right. And then right. when I got home, it went in and I was like, oh, man, that's, this is crazy. And I, I reflect on it and then I just left it alone again. Right. right. So it's, it's a blessing, man. It's, it's like this industry and what we do and uh, the things, the places we are able to go and p- people we are able to, able to touch and see it's a blessing to be able to do that. Yeah. It's not, uh, somebody at McDonald's don't, is not able to do this. You know right. what I mean? Right, right, And I love to play drums. I love to do this. You know, sometimes I get into a funk where I don't want to play drums. I don't like drums anymore. I don't like the way I sound. But that's part of being a professional drummer. Right. That's part but, of the journey. Yeah, you want to reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of journeys. And I'm here to let the younger guys know that I'm here for them. I'm here to help them because no one helped me. Right. No one now, helped me. And you would mention, you know, and I agree with you that you're, you know, you're the pioneer of, of sort of going from the gospel scene to getting into the to the R&B and, and the pop and, and all that. So what's your advice for, for people that want to do the same thing? And whether or not they're got they're quote unquote gospel drummers and they're trying to get into that scene, but just in general, what do you what's your advice for people who want to do what you do and who want to tour around and play with play with bigger names? Well, this is the thing, everybody's not going to do that, right? You know, you may set out to do it, but you're not going to do it. Like, for instance, um, when I first started, I never set out to be a professional drummer. I didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know that I should audition for groups. So I didn't know anything about that. Right. Um, and I uh, started out as being a drum tech on the road mm-hmm. and not a drummer. And this is the story, very quick story. So I played for a gospel choir by the name of uh, the Love Fellowship uh, Community Choir. And Hezekiah Walker, that's his choir. All right. And he's also my bishop now too. Oh, right. Okay. Okay, so I started out playing with that group, and we got known around Brooklyn and around the tri-state area, and we started going to different states and stuff. And this is how I met Brian and Little John and Aaron and all these people was because I was playing with Hezekiah, and we would come to their churches, mm-hmm. and I would come and play, and Gordon Campbell and, you know, Teddy Campbell and all of these guys. Like, I met them by coming to their church with Hezekiah. All right, so... To fast forward, I played on two of Hezekiah's records. The first record was called I'll Make It. That was the name of the hit record, the song on, on that record, right? And uh, this guy by the name of Aaron Hall sang on that same record. Aaron Hall went to audition for a group called Guy. Yeah, I remember Guy. Okay, so Guy was Teddy Riley, Aaron Hall, and Aaron Hall's brother, Damian Hall, right? Mm-hmm. So when... When Aaron took the record to Teddy, he's like, you know, this is the only thing that I ever recorded and ever sang on. So he put the record on, and it was the song I'll Make It. And he was like, all right, well, that's one song that's on there. And he was like, this is the song I sang on. So Teddy said, ho, ho, ho. He said, this song right here, who is the two guys playing the drums? And Aaron said, nah, nah, that's my little cousin, Gerald. That's one guy playing the drums. He's like, it's no way. He's like, yo, he's like 16 or 17, and, and it's just one guy playing. He's like, there's no way, no way. 
He's like, all right. He said, one day I'll bring him to you so you can hear him play. All right, cool. Fast forward. Aaron plays the song that he does. Aaron gets in the group. The group starts. Right. Aaron says to me, yo, Teddy want to hear you play. I was like, man, I'm not really interested. I'm only 17. I'm like, nah, I'm good on that. He's like, nah, let me take you to rehearsal with me. Took me to rehearsal. We get there. They got a big old Simmons drum set. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to play no Simmons drum set. <laughs> right. It's electric. It feels like glass. It's terrible. So he looks at me. He go, all right, get on the drums. And there's a drummer there. Abe Fogel is the drummer. That's there. Right? So I get on the I, I said, no, nah, I can't play these electric drums. They said, all right, let's go in another room. Go in the other room. The acoustic drums is there. I stopped playing acoustic drums. And this guy's, Teddy Rowley's losing his mind. Oh, my God, I never heard nothing like this. this <laughs> you hear this guy's foot. You hear this, blah, 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 blah. So he goes, okay, I want to take you on tour with me. I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. I play in church. The music is harder. This music is whack. It's corny. I don't want to do it. Right. So we, be, we, we become friends the whole time. Mm-hmm. So in 1993, I, uh, I go by the rehearsal, and they go, yo, man, we want you to play the drums. I go, nah, I don't know how to play with a drum machine. Right. But it's all drum machines back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, well, we're going to take you on tour with us. We're going to make you a drum tech. So I became the drum tech, setting up the drums, stage manager, the whole bit. Right? One day, we on tour. One day, everybody leaves the room. They're doing something with the computer. The computer's running. They all walk out. I go jump on the drums. I play the song all the way down. I get finished playing the song, they go, yo, you the new drummer. <laughs> and that's how I became the drummer. Really? So, like, I never set out to be a professional. Now, for those people that want to be professionals, you know, like I said, everybody's not going to be a professional. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's, not, it's just not in the cards. Everybody got a different journey. Right. Um, I mean, nowadays, you know, you have all this media. You have all of, this, all of these outlets to tell someone that you know how to play. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas, you know, back then it was just like, you know, people would come by my church or I would put myself in situations where it's like, yo, I'm going by here to play and hopefully someone will hear me. But I never set out to do that. So I don't really know. I don't really know how to do it. Right. If you get what I'm saying. It's like I never I never set out to do it. And like people like Aaron Spears, like, you know, he tried to do it a whole bunch of times and it didn't work out for him. Mm -hmm. I came along. And was like, yo, man, you need to try out for this Usher joint. Right. Right? He sent in his tape, audition for Usher. And I was telling Usher and him, yo, man, you need to hire that dude. You need to hire that dude. Plenty of drummers sent their tapes in. You need to hire that dude. So fast forward, Aaron gets the gig. Mm-hmm. Right? He kills the gig. Of course, he's killing the gig. And that was me helping him become a professional drummer. Right. You know right. what I mean? So I don't really know really what the secret is or what the ingredients is. I know at some point someone has to help you, Mm -hmm. but, and then at some point you don't really set out to do it. Right. You just do it. You just keep doing what you're doing every day and you will get noticed when it's your time. You know, when it's your time, it will happen. Right. It never becomes your time. It won't happen. And if you're not supposed to be, where I am, you won't. Right. You know what I mean? If you are supposed to be a church drummer, you will stay in the church. Mm-hmm. If you are supposed to just be playing in the clubs, you will stay in the club. You will be great at it, but you won't be at this level. You'll be at a different level in a different capacity. Sure. So 
It's an interesting I, way of looking at it. Yeah, I don't, I don't never see, I don't never see no one really set out. Well, they doing it now because of the media. People are putting up videos, and you know, just to make a like, to make light of stuff. Like, I mean, like, people put their best stuff on the internet. Right. Nobody plays straight on the internet. Right. Everybody put their best chops because they're trying to get recognized. Right. Nobody gets on there and plays straight. Right. Because they feel like, oh, ain't nobody going to watch this. Mm-hmm. But, but those are the things, those are the ways you get gigs. Right. You know, playing a pocket and then knowing how to, you know, uh, sweeten up the pocket or, or make it feel good or, or add something to it that won't take it out of content. Mm-hmm. So it's... There's a lot of different ways now to become a professional drummer, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be a professional drummer. Right, right. So I, I just look at it as, you know, on your journey, there's going to be places on your journey, rest stops. And the rest stops are either you're going to be a professional, you're going to be at a professional rest stop, or you're going to be at a professional rest stop for a club, a professional right. rest stop for a stage, professional rest stop for uh, a studio. Right. So it's it's all different ways to be professional, but I don't look at it as going out to be professional. Sure. It's going to happen if it's supposed to. Right. You know, that's, so that's an know. interesting way of looking at it. I yeah. like it though. Yeah. So I you were I, I talked to, to Benny Greb the other day about he just right. came out with a new DVD, The Art and Science of Groove and we were talking about Groove which is this intangible thing that you can't read it out of a book you can't you know you can't learn it by you know going over all these exercises but you uh (laughs) you groove your ass off all the time and so i want to i want to talk to you a little bit about it and what's your what's your approach to it and you know if somebody's like man i just i why do what i play why does it sound different than when gerald plays or when this person plays it so what's your what's your approach and 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 how do you suggest people really work on that kind of stuff? Well, I have a I have a theory, and it could be just a Gerald Hayward theory. Like, I grew up in New York City, mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, and there's a lot of people there. It's people all on your face, all on your neck. It's crowded. Right. And if you do anything that has to do with singing, baseball, basketball, teaching, anything, you do it aggressively because you're from New York. Right. And because of so many people, you're always fighting for space, mm-hmm. fighting to be heard and you're fighting to be different. So this brings me back to my drumming. When I approached the drums, I approached it very aggressively, very like I need you to notice me mm-hmm. and very like I'm fighting for space because there's a bunch of good drummers around. So my groove comes from that theory. When I approach a groove, I approach it aggressively. I approach it like I'm fighting for space. Mm-hmm. And I'm approaching it like I need you to dance, bop your head, or move your feet. Right. So the groove is definitely from the heart. It's something that I approach with the same tenacity as I approach a lick. Right. You know, like when you, when you know you could play something, it's like I could play doubles so good. I know I could feel like they're just like second nature to me. Right. And when you go about them, they're so aggressive, they're so there, and they, you can tell they're doubles, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's how the same approach I approach grooves. And I approach it with the tenacity. It's no secret to it. It's just I'm aggressive because I'm from New York, 
it's aggressive because it came up, it, beca- it began in New York. Right. So right. the way that I bring a groove to you is just that I'm going to make you, I want your face to hurt right. <laughs> when you hear that snare drum, and I want your stomach to hurt when you feel the kick drum. Right. So that's what I'm trying to do. And then you got to remember, when I play with Guy, I play with full drum machines. Mm-hmm. So I was fighting to be heard again. Sure. So, so which brought out my aggression from being a New Yorker. So these snares and kicks are playing on that machine. I got to play my snare and kick, kick with the same intensity to be heard. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, so that was just, that's just my approach to it. It's not like, you know, it's not no secret. It's mm-hmm. not no nothing. It's just where I'm from. Right. And if you, if you analyze a lot of people's grooves from different places, it varies. And that's what, that's what makes it, oh, you hear how Gerald Hay was grooving? Mm-hmm. Or you hear how Gordon Campbell's grooving? Or you hear how Teddy Campbell's grooving? You know, everybody has a groove from how they were either taught or how they grew up. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you listen to someone that was aggressive like that all the time, that's what's going to come out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. If, your, if your attitude is aggressive all the time, that's going to come out. Even if you're playing a side stick. Right. My side stick's going to be crisp, and it's going to sound the same every time I hit the snare drum. My hi-hat strokes are the same every time I hit the snare drum. It's because I'm playing with the aggression of I'm from New York. I'm playing with the aggression of from I know what I'm doing. I know this feels right. Here it go. Right. And that's just what it is. It's about confidence. It's about playing it the way you feel it, the way it was taught to you. And it's about where you're from because that's your attitude. I agree. I mean, and just to to echo what you're saying and to even prove your point more, if you listen to – you listen to someone from New Orleans playing straight and listen to someone from New York playing straight, they're going to sound totally different. Totally different. You know what I mean? Because New Orleans just has that in-between-the-cracks kind of thing, and it's a laid-back atmosphere, and it's laid-back right. growing, too, you know? <laughs> so it'll all show. It'll all show. Like, you have a, a West Coast band and an East Coast band. Mm-hmm. You will see the difference. West Coast is a little laid back. It's a little vacation-y. Right. A little, you know, <laughs> the East Coast, we're aggressive, screaming, ah, like, yo, yo, we killing, yo, we right. trying to smash. And, and West Coast is never that. West Coast is totally opposite from that. So that is the variables of what my pocket is or what my groove is. Right. It's about where I'm from. Now, do you think a lot of people now are concentrating a lot less on groove and more on chops and non-musical things because it's sensationalized online? Well, yeah, and see, this is the thing. I can explain to you this way. So, like, when I, when I was coming up and people was hearing me play and different people with book knowledge couldn't figure out what I was doing. Mm-hmm. They were like, man, what is this? Like, I don't. You know, I haven't seen this in a book or I haven't heard this from a book. You know what I mean? Right. And that's because I didn't know no rudiments. Mm-hmm. So this is all coming from the heart. This is all combinations that I thought about that just sound good to me. Right. Okay. Nowadays, everybody's playing flam paradiddles, paradiddles, rattamacues, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So now a person can just go to the book 
and see, oh, this is what he's playing. Right. Back then, they didn't know what I was playing because it wasn't in the book. It wasn't no rudiment. Mm -hmm. So now I feel like everybody is learning rudiments because that's the thing to do now. That is, I mean, that's what a drummer is supposed to do. Right. But my approach was totally different. And they didn't know that that wasn't my approach. Right, right, right. See what I'm saying? But now, yeah, I feel like everyone is doing their best chops and learning rudiments and, you know, trying to put every rudiment in one small space. And, right. You know, and it's cool. I like it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at it to have that knowledge because it's cool to have that much knowledge, you know, about the drums. Um, what I'm mad is I want you to work on your groove to get to that chop. Right. Right. See what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people, their chops are amazing. And when they play the groove, you'd be like, oh, that sucks. And you're like, oh, that's, yep. Yeah. So All the subdivisions are all crazy and they're yeah. speeding up and slowing down. Yeah, but you can tell that they don't work on that. Sure. And they work on the chops. Mm -hmm. So you have to definitely um, get a balance of both. Right. You got to get a balance of both. Because a lot of times when we're in that room playing, we chopping, and then there's a point where somebody, you know, I play something straight or like, I'm just playing this, and they'll go, okay, I would play this groove with that. You see what I'm saying? Right. And, and then it becomes a different conversation. Mm -hmm. It's not like how many times I can hit this tongue. Sure. Or how many times I can go like this. It's just about what can I create just with this kick snare hat. So right. sometimes sometime we'll call out kick snare hat only, and you got to make something with the kick snare hat only. Nice. And they say, no cymbals. You got to make something with the toms and no cymbals in the snare drum. So those things help you work on those things. You know nice. what I mean? Those, those things that are definitely uh, just pocket, just, just a simple conversation. We're not yelling. We're not speaking in code. Mm -hmm. You know, we are just saying, yo, man, life is good. Oh, yeah, it is good. Right, nice right. day today. Oh, yeah, it is a nice day. Yeah, man, it's cool. And just chilling. Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, a lot of stuff going on, oh, I feel this way, ah, right. and I feel this way, ah, 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 and I feel this way, oh. So sometimes it, it, it trims down to, yeah, this is the pocket, mm -hmm. and this is how I feel. And they be like, oh, oh, that feels dope. That's cool. Like, let me try that. What are you doing there? Right. But it's only your version of it. Drums mm -hmm. is, is a whole bunch of people's versions of the same thing. Sure. You know, <laughs> yeah. Calvin Rogers and I were talking about just, you know, working on groove and, and just focusing on pocket. And he was saying that he'll, he'll just go and play the same exact groove for 20 minutes. Just straight. No fills, no cymbals, no, just play the groove at one tempo. And then yeah. bump it up like two dot or two clicks on the metronome and uh -huh. then do it again for 20 minutes and uh -huh. so and you know, doing stuff like that is hard it's really <laughs> like it's simple in theory but then you start playing it and you're like oh i gotta i gotta hit this i gotta hit this symbol or i gotta do a fill or i gotta open the hi-hat i gotta do something and i'll like i'll take you know kids that are, or somebody wants to learn you know they're studying with me and i'm like all right take five minutes and play a groove with that with no fills and it's hard you know and i don't know I don't know if it's people don't practice it because it's boring or if it's they just don't have the the intestinal fortitude to do it because it's it, I I don't know. I did you do you find that stuff kind of hard? 
Well, the main thing about that is you get tired of hearing the same drums. Right. So this kick, snare, hat, oh, God, I'm so tired of hearing it. I'm so tired of playing it. So your internal tempo changes. Your internal will changes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I, I approach sometimes like that where it's just, I just set up a kick, snare, hat with nothing else around it. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're forced to just play these three pieces. Yep. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very good concept. That's, that's what, you know, your drumming needs to be about. Right. Because over time, your tempo gets changed um, because you don't have the ability to do what you used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you get slower, you know, so these things that'll help you groove and help you be a song player and music player is very important. Um, I love I love just breaking the kit down and using different instruments to make a groove. Right. You know what I mean? And that should be the approach. Like I said, like, a lot of cats don't do that. They don't do that because they don't feel like that's important. They're playing for the spotlight. Right. Whereas... You should play to back up the artist, and then when the spotlight comes, you'll know what to do already because sure. you're practicing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said, a lot of people want to hear their song. Right. You know, Beyonce can't dance if the beat ain't right. Sure. You know, Chris Brown can't dance if you ain't playing the right pattern. Mm-hmm. And he knows his patterns. Sure. He really knows them. So he'll say, yo, Gerald, you're not playing the right bass drum pattern. What do you mean? It's this this, this, and this. It's not this, 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 this. And it's like, wow. Hmm. And they know they, they know their music. Right. So, so it will behoove you to know <laughs> yeah. and know the groove before you know everything else. Right. That's you know? like, I always quote Ndugu Chancellor. I mean, if, you know, if anybody can talk about groove, it's him. And he's like, right. I've never gotten called to do a drum solo. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. But I, I approaches like when you practice for a gig and you practice and I practice the song knowing the pattern, then I practice the song aggressively, like uh, coloring up the pattern, mm-hmm. and then I practice the song just blazing the whole pattern, right. blazing through without playing the pattern. So I have three different ways I can approach this, if asked. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Oh, yo, man, we want you to just go ham over this. Okay, cool. I can do that because I already practiced it. Right. Or, yo, we want you to play it like it go, but then spice it up. Okay, cool. Right. I can do that because I already practiced it. Sure. So so my practice methods would be that. Would be playing it straight, learning the pattern, then playing the pattern and spicing it up, and then just playing over the whole song. That's interesting. Yeah, just ideas over the whole right, song. Right, right, Then you just have three to choose from. It's like, hey, whichever one you want. Right, right. right. however they want to do it. Nice. And it, it's cool. And it, But like you say, you know, the, the artist, have, if you got a dancer, if you got an artist that dances, they got to be able to dance through their music. Right. You got a, a good singer, music got to be where it spotlights the singer. Mm-hmm. You're going to get your chance to shine. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Um did and, you did uh, you do the did you do the Usher gig too? 
Yes, at one at one time I filled in for Aaron for a while. Because yep. he, because from what I think Brian was telling me that like he that Usher loves just chops all oh, over yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, but you know the funny thing is, it was my gig before it was Brian's gig. Oh, uh, was it? Yeah, and I didn't want the gig. <laughs> um, it was my gig before it was Brian's. Then uh, a guy named Liddell, Liddell Abrams, he did it, and then. Oh, Mike Clemens. Mm-hmm. Mike Clemens did it, and then Aaron. I got so, you. So, um, most of those drummers I mentioned, we can that we can blaze the song, mm-hmm. which he likes. Usher likes that. Right, right, right. Um, Aaron just massacres the songs now. He just tears them joints up. And actually, Jamal, his little brother, is actually filling in recently, and he's killing it too. Um, but they're all aggressive drummers. We are all aggressive drummers. So it comes out like that's what I like. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I guess it's like when a chick, you know, goes for a first dude and it just so happened to be a dark skin tall cat, nine times out of ten, the next dude is going to be dark skin and tall. Right. You know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> so I feel like. You know, the aggressive way that Brian played the music, you know, prompted, you know, Mike Clemens to play the music that way. Mm-hmm. It prompted me. To, well, I'm already aggressive, so it prompted Liddell to play it that way. It prompted me to play it that way. And it prompted Aaron to play it that way. Mm-hmm. And also Jamal. So, you know, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's just a choice, man. It's a yeah. choice. It's a choice. And, um, you know, even like when I play with Beyonce, you know, Kahari, who played before me, he's from Chicago. He mm-hmm. plays... Kahari Parker. Yeah, he definitely yeah. plays more musical than me, but I'm more aggressive. So I think, like, my aggressiveness kind of shined through on B because she, like... I actually turned around to me one day and just said, you're from New York, ain't you? And I said, <laughs> yeah. And she was like, I could tell. Huh. And I was like, well, could it be this big Yankee hat I'm wearing? <laughs> No, she's just like, I could just tell it's your aura, your demeanor, your, you know. Right. And, and she was right. Yeah, and yeah. She came back a couple of days later and it's like, you're not only from New York, but you're from Brooklyn. And I say, yeah, huh. I'm from Brooklyn. And she just kind of knew because of the way I carried myself, the way I played aggressively to her music. You know, she knew it. She said that to me, like, yo, you just, you got that aggressive New York thing you know, you got an accent, but it's your aggressive New York thing. And you're mm-hmm. playing, I could tell. I was like, oh, that's cool. Hmm. That's what I wanted you to hear. That's what I wanted you to hear. Right, right. That was my purpose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool, man. You know, I mean, I, I love it, man. God, is, God has definitely blessed me to do this. And like I said, it's no schooling, no right. read, no nothing. You know, I played on the Apollo. And I did 26 episodes and the whole band could read and I couldn't. So, you know, I know that there's a higher power in charge of what I'm doing. Right, right, right. You know what sure. I mean? Sure. <laughs> because, you know, have to know, you have to know 50 songs but can't read. Right. Got to be someone. He put me in that place to succeed. Sure. Not fail. And, right. And I, I succeeded. <laughs> and succeed you have uh, right. on, on multiple levels, man. You've played with... Uh, a slew of people that who would be on, you know, it's a who's who of, uh, of people that you've played with. 
And um, so what's what's the what's the future look like for you, and and who's someone you know that that maybe you would like to play with, or or things that you have going on? Wow. Well, I'm I'm into, I'm I want to put out because there's a lot of music that's out that I have played drum loops for and have made sounds for, and people don't know. Mm. So <laughs> I'm trying to, excuse me, I'm trying to uh, put out a sample CD. Okay. And uh, I want it to be, it's kind of on the low. Like I'm, I'm trying to, to build something where I can have a sample category, library type thing. Sure. And people can get it. So I'm working on that. Cool. And do that from the house, and um, um, that's cool. And anyway, I'm still working with Chris Brown. I love working with him. Um, you know, I'll have I'll stay there as long as he wants me there. You right. know what I mean? Right. I've been working with him since he's 15. He's 26 now. Wow. And um, it's just been a blessing, man. You know, he's the same age as my son, so it's like, you know, I just have I have feelings for this dude, like like he's my son. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I need to be there with him. Like, sure. right, right, right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of kids make mistakes. When you're rich and you're young, you know, you're bound to make some mistakes. Right. And, um, you know, I, you know I, um, I scold him in my own way, but I also forgive him every time. Right. You know what I mean? I'm, I always stick with him. You know, I'm not going to leave him. I'm not going to. And especially I wouldn't leave him when he's in trouble. So I'm sure. definitely not going to leave him when he's not in trouble. Yeah. So I'm here for the long haul. You know what I mean? Um, everybody has problems, man. Everybody has problems, you know, with money, without money, you know, uh, black, black, white, Latino, Puerto Rican, it don't matter. We right. all have problems. Sure. And, you know, the, the cool thing is, you know, you can learn from your mistakes and just, you know, Try hard not to do them again. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things that I could say is like, you know, um, Chris has a temper. But Chris, um, he just, he has a temper. And sometimes, you know, a temper always overshadows everything. Right. You know what I mean, so I've always wanted to teach him like, yo, man, when you're in a situation with somebody, always look at the person you're in a situation with. Nine times out of ten, they don't have as much to lose as you do. Right. So it's best for you to walk away because you have this much to lose and they have this much to lose. Right, right. right. Walk away. Yeah, walk away because at the end of the day, you're going to make them famous and make yourself less famous. Right. So. Yeah, that's not a win-win. It's not a win-win. So (laughs) I feel like. Like, I need to be there for that reason. That makes sense. You know I mean, I need to be there for, you know, and I don't, I don't have to, you know, get on the phone and try to reach him every time he get in trouble or anything. You know, a lot of times we sit down and, you know, we don't even talk about that. Right. But, you know, it may be a situation and be like, yo, I remember when I such and such, I was like 16. I was stupid. Right. You're like, for real, you did that? Like, yeah, man, I did that. But I never did it again, and it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, knowing that you did something and owning up to the mistake and moving on is one of the key things you can teach somebody without physically saying, this is what you did, you're wrong, blah, 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 blah. Right. right, That's, right. That story in itself could help him later on. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I do. I totally because, get it. Because at the end of the day, it's like a type of thing where it's like, 
oh man, I remember Gerald said X, Y, and Z. Got it. Right. And I'm gonna go ahead and move on. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what my my input is with him at all times. Right. Yeah, and I didn't realize that you had been with him that long either. Yeah, yeah. It's like hoping that something that we had a conversation about, if he's in that situation, he remembers something that I said to him. Right. Or remember right. that. You know, these people. I'm not saying like these people are beneath you, but you just have a lot more to lose publicly than they do. Yes. Yes. So I agree. So that's that's how every situation should be viewed. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like, look, it don't matter. I got millions in the bank. You a fantasizer. You're trying to get rich off of me. I'm out. Right. <laughs> Take, <laughs> that's what I want you to do. Right. So right. It's cool. You know, it's cool. <laughs> So now, do you uh, do you teach privately or anything? Or uh, no, I have no patience. No. Uh, um, <laughs> but you know, I work at the guitar center when I'm not on the road. Right. And a lot of times, I get in situations where I, I'm teaching someone to play a beat or teaching someone to approach the drums. Right. So, um, and me working at the guitar center, like I said, every drummer has a journey. Right. And I'm, I'm meeting the drummers now at a different portion of their journey. Wait, are you saying like you work there like a day gig working there? Yeah. Nah, I would be I would be floored if I walked into into Guitar Center and saw you in there. Yep. Huh. You will see me. You will see me in there. Do people out. freak out when they come in? Sometimes they do. <laughs> they do. It's funny because when I went on the interview for the job. The guys thought that it was a hoax. It wasn't really me, right? <laughs> really? So I walked in the, the guitar center. There was a guy playing the bass. Uh-huh. I was coming to the interview. So, like, right to the right of me uh, was the manager, store manager, and the other manager that was going to interview me. Uh-huh. So when I walked in, this guy was, like, on the bass. He's like, oh, my God, Gerald Hayward. Oh, my God. I got to take a picture. <laughs> so I'm looking at the managers like, oh, man, like, so I take the picture or whatever, and I go in and sit down. They said, first of all, we thought that this was a hoax, and it's a lie, and <laughs> none of it. I said, no, nah, man, I, I applied for a job here. I want to work here. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just crazy. Nice. And it was cool. It was cool all at the same time. But, um, you know, my purpose for doing that is just, uh, like I said, the journey of every drummer is different. But there's a portion of it where... You need equipment mm-hmm. where you need to be guided by someone that has used this equipment or someone that has some recognition or some, you know, some experience with the right. equipment. So I am actually, uh, you know, talking to drummers at a different stage of their journey, mm-hmm. and I like it. I think it's cool. Right. It's sort of a form of you giving lessons, but you're, yeah. you know, but in a different way. It's cool, man. I uh, I definitely I like working there, and I can leave, come and go as I want. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes the job really cool. Like right. I haven't been there in three months. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I've been on the road. But right. it's okay. I still can go there tomorrow. Right, right, right. You see what I'm saying? So it's a good policy, and it's cool. I learned a lot, and it's funny because you know all these different endorsements I have. I've been to the factory, and and one in particular like Zildjian. Mm-hmm. I've been up to Boston, right? And it's like, I go there, and Sarah and all of them people up there is like, yeah, Gerald, so it's a 20 split, it's 2040 copper, blah, blah, blah. It's like they explain the whole system to you. Right. Right? As you go in there. 
And, you know, me thinking in the back of my mind, I'm a drummer. I just want to get to the candy store. I want to hit the cymbals and take right. I don't care about how this thing is made or nothing, right? Right. So, you know, when you work at the guitar center, you have to be certified in each section. Mm -hmm. So for me to work in the drum section, I had to take tests to be certified in the drum section. I got you. So I get to the Zildjian test. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, what is a symbol made of 20% copper, 60, blah, blah, blah. What's the answer? First of all, I took the test. I got every question wrong. I scored like a 20%. You guys scored like an 80, right? Right. So I get on the phone. I call Kirsten and I call, I come in, I call Sarah and I say, Sarah, I'm so sorry for not listening to you and not paying attention to what you was telling me about this company. <laughs> Because right. I failed the test twice, the 20%. <laughs> so I really had to read the stuff and, you know, know it and memorize it to right. pass the test. <laughs> so I learned about a lot. I learned a lot. I learned about the first hi-hat made. And the first hi-hat was called a low boy, and it was on the floor, and you just play it with your foot, not right. with the cymbals. Mm -hmm. And how drummers were back in the 60s and the 50s and the 40s, the drummer, the drummers were, they played the drum set. There was four people that played the drum set. Mm -hmm. I think it's like four. It's like the, somebody played the bass drum, somebody played the cymbal, somebody played the snare drum. Like, it was like that. Right, right, right. And then, then I learned about the concept of the drum set, the first drum rack ever built. Mm -hmm. well, Gretsch was the first people, I think, that built the first drum rack. So I learned all of this stuff by working at the Guitar Center, which makes me view all of the product and everything totally different. Sure. Because there's different type of customers that's coming in. There's customers that don't know nothing. There's customers that do research. And then there's customers that just know everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you right. know, right, right, right. if they don't know, they know everything. Right. So you got to prepare for all of those customers. Huh. You got to know. You got to know, like, oh, yeah, that drum is a 20 by 20. I could tell because, I mean, I know because Gretsch only make 20 by 20. They don't make 20 by 18 or 20. See? Right, so right, right. those things you need to know. I just never, th I wouldn't have expected you to say that you work at Guitar Center. That's funny. Yeah, and I love it. That's good. I think it's great. That's good. I, I would I would love to uh, to walk in and see you there, and I'd be like, oh, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, I, I work right up the street from my house. Right around the corner from Sesame Place at the Oxford Valley Guitar Center. Nice. So if anybody's in that area, go yeah. go check them out and uh, and talk drums and, and yeah. play drums. Come on through. <laughs> so if uh, if people want to go online and and learn more about you, where where can they find you? Well, I have a website that's kind of still being built. It's called GeraldHayward.com. Okay. And you can just go on and look at that, and you know, just Google me and stuff. Like I'm on a lot of different sites and. YouTube and all that stuff. Um, I'm not really internet savvy. I don't really like be on the internet like that. I love Instagram, so you guys can go to Instagram because Instagram, the conversation is about the picture. Right. You know, Twitter, it's like people are making up conversation. Right. Like, one time there's a guy in there talking about he's sitting on the toilet. Like, I don't want to know that. Like, <laughs> I'm good on that. But he's just trying to make conversation because he don't have nothing to talk about. Right. So, you know, with Instagram... You know, Gstro one, I think is my Instagram or Gstro. Um, it's Gstro, yeah. Gstro, right? It's I my just looked Instagram. it up. Okay, so like you know, to that, go to my Instagram and you know, let's talk about the pictures and there's a couple of videos up there. You know, we can conversate on. But I'm not a Facebook dude because Facebook has so much going on. All right. 
it's like, oh, yo, these are my dudes from school and high school, and this is my dudes from elementary, and these people come from California. It's just so much. So I very, very rarely go on Facebook. Hey, hold on. Look who's calling me. Oh, I'm gonna answer the Don, hold on. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna answer the phone real quick. It's Don Lombardi from DW. Yeah. yeah. Hey Don. Good. I'm uh I'm actually on I'm interviewing uh Gerald Hayward right now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying hold on, let me put him on let me put all right. Hey this is great timing, man. How are you? Hey Don hold on, let me pull this out. There you go. Now you can talk to him. Hey Don. Hey. Don here. How you doing? I'm okay. How you been? Good, good. Cool. <laughs> I hope you're saying good things about me. Nah, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so that conversation between Don and Gerald goes on for a little bit of a, kind of a long time. So I don't want to share it all with you, but I wanted to share that with you, how he cuts in. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. And like, I'm sitting there talking to Gerald Hayward, Don Lombardi's calling from DW, the owner of DW and the three of us are talking together, which I thought was a pretty awesome time. So I sort of wanted you to experience a little bit of that and, and welcome you into my world. But now let's get back to our regular scheduled program with Gerald Hayward. So, yeah, so if you want to find Gerald, check him out on Instagram, and I'll put all the links uh, in the show notes for the podcast so that people can get in touch with you through Instagram. And, uh, and other than that, man, Gerald, thank you so much for, for taking all the time to chat with me. I know the listeners really appreciate it, and I know, like I said, a lot of people have been asking to get you on the show for a while, so I'm glad we finally, we finally connected, man. And anybody in the, the Oxford Valley area, the Levittown area, go check them out at Guitar Center. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you, man. I like I said, I I appreciate it, dude, and uh, it was great to finally connect with you. And yeah, if, like I said, anytime uh, anytime you're in the area, man, let me know and lunch on me. All right, Nick. No worries, man. All right. Okay. Cool. Thanks again. Peace. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you. So there you have it, the one and only Gerald Hayward. And sorry, that was a little bit of an unorthodox interview, and I had to cut some stuff out just because we were talking about all kinds of stuff that I'm sure you probably didn't even want to hear. So we were just talking about personal stuff and, like, you know, when he was coming into town and all that stuff. So uh, there's also, like, some noise going on in that interview, which now will no longer be an issue um, because I upgraded all my stuff and I was having some issues on my end audio wise. So hopefully all the podcasts moving forward will not have that audio issue going on. And last bit of information, if you could, please head over to drummagazine.com forward slash drummies and vote for drummers resource for the 2015 drummies. I would really, really appreciate it. Check me out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource and on Twitter at drummers R source. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.